Amen. If you guys have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the New Testament book of Mark. Continuing in our series, the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 2. So if you were here for the kind of the introduction to this sermon series, you uh, might recall that I said uh, one of the things I loved about the Gospel of Mark is that it is a kind of a in-your-face type of gospel. Jesus um, arrives on the scene, and one of Mark's favorite words that he uses throughout the gospel is that word immediately. Uh, you see it numerous times already just in the first chapter of Mark, but it's like Jesus it's like Mark wastes no time, and it's like Jesus is, is here, he's in your face, the heavens have ripped open, and, uh, and Jesus is, is here, and he is here to shake your life up, is, is what he's here to do. And we see that already in, in the first, uh, well, you're going to see it a lot, but Jesus is about to ramp things up. Starting in chapter 2, uh, all the way through, uh, kind of halfway through chapter 3, you're going to see over the next few weeks... Uh, that Jesus is just turning up the heat. He's ramping things up, and I'm excited. Are you guys excited? I am so excited I can't contain myself. How about you guys? Let's dive in here. Let's read Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. And when he returned, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, there's that word, immediately, Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, the scribes, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this before. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Uh, how powerful it is, God, just your, 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 your word, your, your words here in Scripture. I pray, Father, that your words would just penetrate our hearts, God, that as we exalt Jesus in this place, we would see the beauty of the gospel and to see the beauty of Jesus in light of who we are. Father, we would just, just draw closer to Jesus. Thank you so much for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I have a Muslim friend who is uh, from Turkey who happens also to be the lady that cuts my hair. And I think she does a marvelous job. What do you guys think? Right? I've been going to her for uh, about 11 years now, and so that averages out to be at least a couple of times a month. 
And over the years, we've had some super conversations. We talk about our families. Uh, She has three kids, just like I do. Uh, We talk about our kids' schooling and how they're doing and their teachers. We talk about um, all kinds of things, right? I'll ask her about her Turkish culture because uh, I really am interested about food. I love food. And uh, she, she's even pulled out her phone and showed me YouTube videos of, di- of the way they make food and, and the different Turkish delicacies and different things like that. And, and I'm like, man, this is pretty cool. But, but I always try as often as possible to direct our conversations around faith, specifically about Jesus. Okay? Uh, a few months back, we talked specifically about sin and forgiveness. And as we were having that conversation, we both agree that every single person has sinned and rebelled against God. We both agreed that we need forgiveness, but where we disagreed is how we receive that forgiveness. She kept talking about the way that she receives forgiveness is by simply going to God and praying for that forgiveness. And I kept trying to show her through Scripture that our sin separates us from God, and so we can't approach God. We can't just go to God and ask forgiveness. We need a mediator. We need Jesus Christ to come and live a life that we cannot live so that he could die the death that we were supposed to die, right? Jesus paid the penalty for our sins so that through Jesus we could be reconciled to God. And and here's the thing. It's not that that my friend doesn't believe in Jesus, right? Muslims believe in Jesus. They just don't believe that Jesus is divine, that Jesus is God in the flesh. They believe that Jesus is just another prophet like Muhammad or that Jesus is just another man who was a good, ethical, moral teacher. And if that's the case, friends, then then what are we doing here, right? If Jesus is just another man, if he's just a good, moral, ethical teacher, we could go ahead and pack up and, and head to brunch. If Jesus is not God in the flesh, then we're wasting our time. However, if Jesus is God, if Jesus is God in the flesh, then man, we need to, we need to devote our lives to him, right? We need to to listen and obey every single word from Jesus' mouth. And so what I want to do is, as we walk through this passage, I want to look at two groups of people and their response to Jesus. I want to first look at these four friends in the paralytic and what I'm calling their healing faith. If you're an outline person, this is your outline, okay? Healing faith. The second group is the scribes. And we want to look at their hindering faith. You like how I use the alliteration there, healing and hindering. And finally, finally, we're going to look at the faithful one who is Jesus. The faithful one who is Jesus. And how should we respond? So first, the friends and their healing faith. Well, it's obvious from the text that Jesus' popularity has been growing because they are at this house in Capernaum and there is absolutely no room to spare. More than likely, this would have been uh, the, the disciples Peter's house uh, that they're meeting at. And the, the last half of chapter 1, uh, we see that uh, it is mostly made up of Jesus' preaching and healings. 
And here it says that Jesus was preaching the word to them. That's what we see here in chapter 2 at the beginning. And we don't have to wonder what Jesus was preaching to this crowd because back in chapter 1, verse 14, it says that Jesus was preaching the gospel. Verse 15, in chapter 1, it says, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel, right? So Jesus was preaching and teaching the crowd. Now, I'm willing to bet that 90% of the people in this crowd, based off of, again, the last half of chapter 1 and all these healings that have been taking place from Jesus, that, that the crowd that is gathered there that day in Capernaum is there for one reason. Sure, they might be interested in what Jesus is preaching, but, but they are there because they want to see Jesus in action. They're like, man, this guy is a miracle worker. We want to see him heal somebody. We want to see something crazy go down, right? I mean, they, they heard how he just touched a leper, right, and how it cleansed the leper. So they're like, man, we want to see something like that. But then you have these four friends, these four friends who are carrying their paralytic, paralytic, their paralytic friend, their paralyzed friend, to see Jesus. And again, this crowd is so large that they, they couldn't even get to the door. But that doesn't discourage them because they're going to do whatever it takes to get to Jesus. So much so that they are going to carry their friend up to the roof and proceed to unroof the roof. Right? I mean, that, that's, that is pretty radical, right? Now, roofs back then are not like our roofs today. Roofs were, were flat roofs, and you see throughout the Bible, oftentimes people uh, would go out onto the roof. Uh, Old Testament, uh, you might remember King David went up on top of the roof, and that's where he spotted Bathsheba, and he got into some trouble there. Okay, and then, then Acts chapter 10, you see Peter is up on the roof, and he's taking a snooze, and God gives him this vision, right? So, so roofs were very popular for people to hang out on, and the material that was uh, most likely used to make these roofs was like uh, tile and mud-like cement over these beams. And so that's what you have, these four men up on top of this roof, and they are digging through this mud-like cement to get to Jesus. Now, I can't imagine the distraction that this must have caused, right? Can you imagine somebody uh, chopping away at the roof to try to get in here because they want to see Jesus, if Jesus was preaching, right? How, how crazy would that have been? I can imagine that the dust and the tile was falling in Jesus' hair. Like, Jesus is like, I got to take a shower tonight now. Thank you, right? <clears throat> but it didn't matter to these friends. It didn't matter. They... they, they we're going to do whatever they had to do to get to Jesus. And, and finally, as they're digging through, right, the, I'm sure that the crowd has, has stopped and they're, they're paying attention and Jesus has stopped and everyone's looking. And now the hole is finally big enough to get their paralyzed friend down to Jesus. Now, I don't know if they had to make the hole so big that they had to fit long, wise, long ways or if they made a hole like this and they kind of, hopefully he was strapped to the mat, right? If he wasn't, he'd have been like, whoop. Oh, yeah, but obviously he didn't do that, right? So I, I, but I don't know how big this hole is, right? I, I don't know. But now the crowd is waiting with anticipation. Peter, who owns the house, is probably thinking, what the mess is going on here? Yeah. But I want you to notice verse 5. Verse 5, it says, when Jesus saw their faith, 
There is plural. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, here's the thing. As far as we know, there was no verbal confession of faith. What I mean by that is that Jesus didn't ask these guys, hey, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? And we don't know if that happened, right? If it does, Mark doesn't record it. But what Jesus does see is he sees their faith in action. He sees a a saving type of faith. Uh, what I mean by that is, is James, who is Jesus' half-brother, writes the book of James, and he says this in James chapter 2, verse 18. He says, I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe in God? Well, that's great. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. And so what James is saying is, is that our faith needs action. You say you believe in God. Well, words are cheap. Words are cheap. Back up those, those words with, with deeds. That's, that's what Jesus sees here. And these men demonstrated a saving faith. I want you to notice that their faith was persistent. Nothing was getting in their way to see Jesus. I mean, they could have seen the crowd and they could have been like, man, I'm so sorry, bud. We just... We, we, must have get, we should have got here earlier, right? We got stuck on 95 traffic, right? We should have got here earlier. Or, or they could have said, you know what, man, it's, it's, it's already getting late and the, and the game, the big game is about to start. Let's, let's get back home, you know? They, they didn't do that, man. They were persistent. Their faith was creative, right? They, they, they were tearing off the roof to get to Jesus. I say that's pretty creative. Didn't matter how, how crazy they looked or how embarrassing it might have felt, They wanted to get to Jesus. We see that their faith was sacrificial, right? Because somebody's got to pay for that roof. Somebody's got to pay for the materials. Somebody's got to get up there and and rebuild this this roof that they have unroofed. But see, to them, it didn't matter the cost because they wanted to get to Jesus. But did you pick up on what Jesus said first? I know you did. I know you did. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. I would imagine that it's a safe bet that no one saw that coming that day. Right? Nobody saw that coming. It's obvious. It's obvious to everybody who's in the room that this man is paralyzed and given Jesus' reputation. Again, the last half of chapter 1 is all about Jesus' healings. It's likely that the paralytic is there to be healed. Now, I don't know this for certain. This is totally just my you know, speculation on this, uh, but we do know from this passage in verse 8 that Jesus is able to perceive people's thoughts. He knows their hearts. And so I, I don't know, man, maybe, maybe Jesus saw their faith. He saw their persistence and their creativity and their sacrifice to get to Jesus And maybe he knew that deep down in this man's heart, yeah, he wanted to walk again. But maybe deep down, Jesus knew that this man wanted forgiveness. So the first thing Jesus does is he meets the deepest need of his heart. He deals with the man's guilt first. 
And this is the beautiful thing about Jesus is Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Amen? That's the beauty of the gospel. Listen, if it was up to my kids, I have three kids, nine, six, and three. If it were up to my kids, they would uh, eat waffles, cereal, chicken nuggets with the crust. Let's get, make that clear. And uh, candy, and, and they would watch electronics all day long, right? That that's, would be a good day for me. They would be like, man, we are living in hog heaven, right, if we could do that. This is, this is what they think they need uh, to, to fulfill their lives, right? But mom and dad know them better than they know themselves, right? We know that that's not what's best for them. Even though they may think that, we know that that's not what's best. We know what's good for them and what's not. And I know, I know, I know, I know that there's a lot of Christians and there's a lot of people in the world today that think, man, if I just had this, if I had more money, my problems would be solved, right? If I, if I had that job or if I had that promotion or if I had that spouse or if I had those looks or if I had you fill in the blank, whatever it is, if I, man, if I just didn't, if I could just be healed or whatever, you, think, you put it, fill in the blank, then I'd be happier. Right? My, my life would be satisfied. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be good. And that's often the thought process. And, and maybe, listen, maybe the paralytic thought, I'm sure he did. I'm sure he thought, man, if I, could just, if I could just walk, I'd be happy for the rest of my life. And Jesus says, no. You might think you'd be happy for the rest of your life, but I guarantee you that in just a minute you'd be unhappy. You might walk out of here and you might run and you might sprint and you might be frolicking through the land and you might think, man, this is the best time of my life. I am healed. I can walk. And, and you might think this is, this is what you needed the most, but Jesus says, no, 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 no. You think that's what you need, but what you need most is you need spiritual healing. Your greatest need is to be in right relationship with, with God. And I want you to know this morning that the main problem in all of us is not, not our suffering that we might go through, right, or the things that we don't have, but our main problem is our sin. And there's nothing that you and I can do about our sin. We need Jesus. He wants us to trust him that he knows us better than ourselves. He knows our problem. He knows our need. And our need is forgiveness. Our need is forgiveness. By the way, I, you can read through the Gospels, all of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You can see that every time Jesus healed somebody, guess what still happened to them? They still died, right? They were healed for a moment, but they still physically died. And so... Our biggest need is a spiritual healing. We need Jesus. That's, that's the first group. We see a healing faith there. Their faith, they, they had this, this faith in Jesus. The second group are the scribes, and we want to look at their hindering faith. Their hindering faith. Now, these, these scribes, they were the experts in the law, the Old Testament. They had their PhDs. They, had, uh, they knew Greek and Hebrew. They were the professors, right? They wrote all these articles and spoke at conferences. They did all these wonderful things. They knew the Bible frontwards and backwards. And they knew, man, at that moment that something just wasn't quite right. They were like, hmm, wait a minute. 
You don't just pronounce forgiveness and assume that it happens, Jesus. Right? Maybe if, the, if this guy had done something specifically to you, maybe if he had fallen through the roof and, and knocked you down, and he'd have been like, oh, I'm so sorry, Jesus, and he'd be like, that's okay, I forgive you, maybe then you could forgive, right, because it's an offense against you, but you can't just blanketly say you forgive all of his sins against other people and against God. That doesn't work like that, Jesus. We know the Old Testament. We know how this works. The only person that can do that is God and God alone. So, so they're sitting there. They know this isn't kosher, right? This is not right. Jesus is blaspheming. He's standing in the place of God. And instead of being attracted to this miracle and to Jesus, these religious leaders are absolutely repelled. Right? I imagine they're, they're, they're sitting there in their seats, right? They, they, they would have been sitting while other people were standing. They would have been sitting and, and they're watching all of this take place. And rather than jump up and help this man down, all they can do is sit there and judge. All they can do is sit there and judge. You see, the paralytic, he couldn't feel his limbs, but these scribes could not feel Jesus in their hearts. And what we see here is that these scribes, these religious leaders, these religious elite, they need Jesus just as much as the paralytic and his friends, but the problem is they don't know they need Jesus. And if you're here next week, you're going to see Jesus blatantly come out and say, they need Jesus, they need him. And I wonder how many Christians today who have grown up in church their whole lives, right, like, like the scribes, man, they, they know about Jesus, they know the Bible, they know some scripture, right, but they don't know Jesus, they don't have that relationship with Jesus, right? They're just kind of going through the motions like, like these scribes, man. They just, they're, they're more outraged. They care more about tradition than they care about somebody coming to know Jesus. That's sad. That's sad. But that, that's hindering faith right there. We see uh, healing faith from the four friends in the paralytic. We see hindering faith from the scribes. And finally, I want us to look at Jesus, the faithful one. Right? This is, this is what we're here for. Verse 8, as I already mentioned, Jesus perceives their thoughts. He knows their hearts. And he asks, he's talking to the scribes here. He says, why are you questioning these things in your heart? But then Jesus asks a question. And I want to continue with you this morning that this is actually a trick question. He asks, he says, which is easier? To say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise up and pick up your mat and walk. Now, here's why I say this is a trick question. Because for a lot of a lot of years, as a matter of fact, until I did this sermon, I thought that it was easier, of course, for Jesus to say your sins are forgiven. Why wouldn't that be easier? You can't prove if his sins are forgiven or not, right? To me, that would make the obvious choice. Besides, if he tells the paralytic to rise and pick up your mat and walk, it kind of puts Jesus on the spot, right? It's, it's got to happen. So, so to me, I would think that the easiest thing would be to say your sins are forgiven. But it's a trick question. Now, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus ends up healing the man. But, but here's the thing. We still need to ask, why? Why does Jesus Ask 
the question. If he's going to heal the man anyways, why does Jesus ask the question? Why does Mark put it in the scriptures? Right? Why does he ask the question? I'm so glad you asked. Because the key word is down in verse 10 where Jesus says that he has authority. You see, that day in Peter's house in Capernaum, it would have been far easier, far easier for Jesus to simply say, get up and walk. That would have been the easier thing to have done. And here's why. Because Jesus knows that when he said, son, your sins are forgiving, he is throwing down the gauntlet because he is making a claim to be God. Listen, the scribes were right. The scribes weren't wrong. They, they knew that the only person who could forgive sins is God and God alone. And so Jesus is saying, so that you know that the Son of Man, and there he uses that Son of Man again, right? I didn't even mention that, but that Son of Man is, is a, uh, he's not being humble by saying he's just a Son of a Man. He's quoting from Daniel 7.13. And if the scribes would have been paying attention, they would have picked up on what Daniel 7.13 says. And Jesus is saying, so that you know that the Son of Man has authority in heaven and on earth, he tells the man to get up and walk. But here's the other reason it's harder for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven. Because Jesus knew that for every sin forgiven, there has to be a punishment. So for Jesus to say, your sins are forgiven, meant that Jesus was going to the cross it was going to the cross where he was willingly going to lay down his life. Where he's going to be mocked and he's going to be beaten and he's going to be nailed. And the cup of God's wrath, the wrath that is directed towards our sin is going to be poured out on Jesus to pay the penalty for our sins. That, that's what Jesus knew. That's why he asked the question because it's actually harder for Jesus to say, your son, your sins are forgiven because he knows what lies ahead. He knows the pain and suffering that he's going to go through for you and me. That's the good news of the gospel. Amen? Good grief. He dies in our place to remove our guilt and our shame so that we can be reconciled to God. Listen, if Jesus is just another man, then what are we doing here? But Jesus has the authority. Jesus is God. He's not just another moral teacher. Jesus is God, and he has the authority to forgive sins. Do you believe this? Do you see your need for Jesus? And listen, I, I know you may be sitting here thinking, well, I've already got Jesus, Aaron. You can't, get enough, you can't get enough of Jesus. All right, we need more. We need more of Jesus. We need more of him in our life. We need to keep our eyes on him. And so if you're here this morning, listen, we're, we're already doing, we're doing a baptism second service. We can do more. We can do more. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you've never said, man, I want to put my faith and trust in him, then I want to encourage you to do that today. But I also want to encourage you, if you're here and you want to grow in your faith, 
right? The, the, these four men, these five men, counting the paralytic, they, they, they demonstrated their faith by the way they acted, by the, what they did. They were persistent. They were creative, right? They were, they were sacrificial. And, man, we want to help you take the next step in your faith to grow in your faith. Notice, notice it was five friends, right? It was no, there was no loners there. Your next step, man, if you're not in a small group, is to get in a small group. That's going to help you grow in your faith. To be around other believers where you can encourage each other and hold each other accountable and walk through difficult times in your life. You need other believers. You need other friends who are going to walk with you. So I would encourage you, get in a small group. Joe can help you with that. I can help you with that, but Joe's, I'm going I'm to push you over to Joe, okay? All right? But I also want to point out verse 10. I didn't say it. Verse 10 is, is fascinating. Uh, Jesus said, he says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. He told the paralytic, and look what he says. He says, I say to you, rise. I, I, didn't, I didn't catch that until I was studying through this passage, but that word say, the little word say, when Jesus says, I say to you, rise up, and walk is an important word because when it comes to God, his words are his deeds. His words are his action. When God speaks, things happen. In the beginning was God. And God said, he spoke, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus, standing in front of the tomb of Lazarus, says what? Lazarus, come forth. And what does Lazarus do? When God speaks, things happen. Listen, if you want God to be active in your life, read straight the words of God from his, from his Bible. These, these are the words of God. The word of God is active, sharper than a double-edged sword, right? Cutting through bone and marrow. And, and all, this, is, this is what we, when you're in a small group, you're going to study the word. Be in the word every day. If you want God to be active in your life, study the word. Finally, if you want to grow in your faith, we have opportunities for you to serve. We'd love to help you get connected and serving, or we would love to help you find ways to serve in your neighborhood. We'd love to help you, you know, invite your neighbors over to your house, whatever, whatever you need to do. But Jesus is God. He has the authority, and we need to trust more and more in him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for this passage. And Father, I pray that as we continue to uh, go throughout our day-to-day, God, that these words would just, uh, um, man, just penetrate our hearts, God, that we would see the beauty of, of what Jesus did, that when he says your sins are forgiven, we know that that means he's got to pay for those sins and what he has done for us, God. May we be in all of that. God, may, may, as we continue to look at Jesus, may we be changed, Father. We thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.